hello and welcome to episode number 492 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's show, One American Airline is really spoiling its connecting passengers, a low-cost carrier is moaning about the lack of maxes, and could flying be as easy as a joystick and two screens? In the military this week, it's UAV time, and could the RAF be seeking out a Hawk trainer replacement? Plus, we have this week's caption this just for fun, and also we take a brief look at just what the PTUK team are up to this coming weekend. Not a clue. So, joining me this week across the village here in the glorious uh, countryside of Suffolk is, of course, Matt Smith. There is a town council who will be furious uh, that you're referring to Bungie as a village, by the way, just saying. No, <laughs> yeah, I don't care. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. As long as you're happy. <laughs> well, I'm a law unto myself. Yeah, amen to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so Matt, well, I, I haven't seen you for at least, what... Um, well, about four hours, isn't it? Something? No, it's slightly longer than that. Hours? Yeah, about seven hours actually. It was about one, yeah, six hours. Yeah, yeah, yes, so, yes. yeah, yeah. And much changed between now and then. I mean, no, I came, I came really. and stole a suitcase from you. He did. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I just remembered actually before I finished work today. I mem- remembered to put my out of uh, thingy email. Oh, on your emails. Oh, very yes. good. Yeah. I thought I better be professional. Now I, ha- you know, now I've got this new job. I yeah, need to keep yeah. Fresh I, I, I also have a similar um, posi- position and forgot to do exactly that. Uh, oh, so God help anyone who should email. <laughs> They're not getting anything. Yeah. <laughs> so joining us uh, this week as well are uh, another a production member of the show. Does a lot of work behind the scenes when uh, we're all busy, busy, well, doing things outside of PTUK land. It is, of course. Nick Codling. Hello, Nick. Carlos? Yeah, I mean, I'm. to be honest, I'm busy when I probably should be doing my real job, but you know, <laughs> sometimes the PTUK stuff has to take precedence. Oh, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. Sometimes rather more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So, yeah. so, obviously, different, slightly different to aviation. How are things in the world of two-wheeled motorcycles? Oh, um, <clears throat> just, just bought another motorbike. What?! <laughs> Ah. But no one listens wow. to this, right? <clears throat> no, 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 nobody at all. Nobody move on, at all. move on. Uh, uh, sorry, forgive, forgive me, my, my, forgive my nosiness here. It's none of my business at all, uh, Nick. First it's question. The melody. Uh, uh, yeah, I can say. First question. <laughs> what have you bought? Is it a little fifty cc pop pop? Um, it's a thousand cc Ducati. Oh my goodness me! It doesn't really work though, so we Hello. won't go into that. Oh right, oh okay, all right. I was going to say somebody's put their big boy pants on, haven't they? Blimey! Yeah, it's some work, but it was a bit. It was yeah. Yeah, but is that why you bought it? Because because yeah, you, you yeah, know you, a, you've got a, a stunning machine that it's requires a, it's a bit a of project. work. Uh, and forgive forgive my my nosiness here, but. Um, why does it really matter if you've you've bought it? You don't have to report to anyone else, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> God, can you imagine exactly if I the, did that with an oh aircraft? My, oh Matt. my goodness me! Yeah, <laughs> you you the, are. The you're just is doing getting it. a bit full. Yeah. Oh, oh is it? Oh, all right. Yeah. Okay. No, fair enough. <laughs> no. So is this well, is this going to be a garage thing, Nick? You're going to have it on a stand in the garage? And no, he's going to mend it and ride it. Of course, he is. 
Eventually, okay. yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't have a, you don't have a Ducati thousand cc just sitting around gathering rust and dust. What's the matter with you? No, I don't. I don't. Yeah. That'll just because just because you're just because you're collecting airplane parts to build your own airplane over many years. Oh, I'm doing that as well. <laughs> oh, wait, oh, oh, for goodness' sake! <laughs> Nick's Nick's got the bug. Nick's got the bug. He's doing it as well. Uh, so uh, we haven't got a Nev this week, unfortunately. Nev, uh, he's he's had a slightly busy week. Poor Nev, he's literally been flying. He was uh, on his way back from Edinburgh yesterday on a glorious three-month-old A321 Neo. Yes, with BA. Uh, so Nev's not with us this week, and Armando, unfortunately, is not with us this week. But he has sent us in a little video. We're going to play it later on the show. But don't panic. Because holding up the whole technical side of the show in regards to aviation, we've got back another super sub on the show. So welcome back, John Jester. Hey, everybody. Uh, surprisingly at home in the Netherlands. What? So, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, weird, huh? You're almost yeah, in I'm the actually... same time zone as us, John. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. only an hour ahead. Yeah. Only an hour ahead. Said, and, uh, only an hour in it for a change, yeah. Hey, I've actually had three nights of eight-hour-plus sleep. What? Uh, oh, no, 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 no. That's just, no, no, that, that, that John, is not good for you. <laughs> no, no. Ironically, my fancy watch told me that my eight hours plus of sleep last night was only good for 50%, so oh, I don't oh. know what's wrong there. Oh, oh dear. But, oh, dear. Uh, uh, who knows? But glad to help out and uh, pitch in and not middle of the night, so... A lot, lot better this time. So the, no, no Kenichi was this time. Uh, uh, no, uh, no, more's the pity. Kuyavin, <laughs> uh, and uh, and Andas from the Lowlands. So. Exactly what I thought. Bless yeah. you. Well, yeah, Gesundheit, yeah. <laughs> sir. Um, <laughs> well, forget, give our thanks as well to the boss uh, John for letting you come on tonight as well. Will do. <laughs> and uh, yes, Captain Cruz, Independent Air. I was a proud member of that group. Uh, long, long, uh, may she rest in peace. But uh, yes, that is what I got. So, oh, see, so everybody's wondering what I got on here. So that's that's pretty yes, eagle-eyed, that's pretty isn't good. it? That's that is impressive. pretty eagle-eyed. Yeah, impressive. Yeah. So. On that note, we've got to say hello to the chat room this week. Everyone who's joined us in there. Let's go from the top of the list. We've got Hobby Time in there. Mazus is in there, uh, our local listener. We have got uh, Neville Bounds is in there. Don't know quite what he's doing in there. Uh, David Checking Michael. we started on time, I suspect. David Michaels <laughs> also in there over in Australia. He is, blimey. Uh, off to the gym he is as well. Captain Cruz, Richard Adams, as well, just a passing visit from him this week. He's got an urgent pub visit, apparently. Mm, very important, Richard. Yeah, one must uh, prioritise these things. Yes. <laughs> hello to Tanya. Good to see you in there, Tanya. Lovely to see you in there. Dirk S. Hello to you, Dirk. Great to see you as well. Masha. Hello, Masha. Hope you're well. Uh, we have got Jan is in there as well. Good to see you, Jan, in there. Uh, Bill. He's dropped in as well this week. Good to see you, Bill. And Captain Ridiculous Wits. It wouldn't be a chat room without Captain Ridiculous Wits in the chat room as well joining us. And don't forget, if you're listening to our glorious voices on an audio podcast and you want to see just how stunning Nick don't is do it. Don't do with it. his haircut, yeah. 
then uh, take yourselves <laughs> over to YouTube and search for Playing Talking UK. And don't forget to hit the subscribe. Well, not literally hit, but click on it. The subscribe and bell icon. Unless you've got a touchscreen, of course, uh, which is right next to it to be notified when we're live and recording new episodes like we are now. So we've got loads of stuff to get through this week, including our caption this. So if all the team's ready... Let's do this. Let's do it. Go for it. Well, when that's gone again. That's because it's finished. What's the matter? I couldn't hear anything. Uh, I had no audio then at all from back from you from the okay, desk. But anyway, you, but you could you could just watch the video. Kicking <laughs> off this week's first news story from SimpleFlying.com, and uh, sad news if you're the fan of the seven six seven, especially the freighter version. Flown on the seven six quite a few times. Love the aircraft. Uh, with the Federal Aviation Administration, or the FAA, adopting its proposed fuel efficiency rules for certain subsonic jet aircraft with a maximum takeoff weight of more than seven or 5,700 kilograms, uh, this could spell the end for the production of the 767 freighter. The new standards will also apply to propeller-driven aircraft with a maximum takeoff weight greater than 8,618 kilograms. And the FAA's rule, final rule, was published on February the 16th. Uh, with an effective date of April the 16th. According to the directive, the new fuel efficiency standards would apply to aircraft that received their original type certification on or after January the 1st, 2021, uh, were manufactured after January the 1st, 2028, or were certified before 2021, but a modification was made that would affect the aircraft's emissions after January the 1st, 2023. Uh, John June the 15th, 2022, the regulator published a notice of proposed rulemaking receiving 62 comments on a proposal from various parties, including Airbus, Boeing, ATR, Embraer, Gulfstream, General Electric, as well as airline representatives. Providing backgrounds on the ruling, the FAA said the International Civil Aviation Organization, ICAO, and its International Aviation Climate Change, uh, or GIACC, uh, developed a program to reduce aviation impact on the climate in twen uh, 2009. Uh, the Committee on Aviation Environmental Protection, or CAEP, part of the ICAO, agreed the new emission standard in February 2016, with ICAO adopting the standard in March 2017. In the United States, the Clean Air Act directs the EPA to adopt standards applicable to the emissions of any air pollutant from class of aircraft engines in which the EPA, or Administrator's Judgment Cause, or contributes to air pollution, which may reasonably be anticipated to endanger public health or welfare. Now, the story does go on, but could this spell the end of the 767 freighter? It, well, probably, but we have got the 777 freighters, which are obviously very popular, and uh, I think they'll be in the air for quite some time to come. But I think the 767 freighter, the note here that I've put on here last night, uh, January 1993, following an order from UPS, Boeing launched the freighter variant of the 767, which was the Dash 300F, entered service with UPS 
on October the 16th, 1995. Uh, the 767-300 featured a main deck cargo hold, upgraded landing gear and strengthened wing structure. John, have you flown this little beaut? No, not enough engines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there'd be an issue. No, so, okay, yeah. No, I, I've, I've been on the airplane. It's actually a very popular aircraft in the freight industry. It fits a really nice niche of, uh, of having enough uh, volume to make it worthwhile, especially in the small package market like UPS and FedEx operate in. Um, and it suffers a little bit in range when it's carrying a heavier weights, which is kind of operations that we oftentimes fly. Uh, but we do have a number of these uh, aircraft in operation that we use for both um, DHL and uh, for the military as well as our uh, our operations. My uh, ACME uh, Global, and uh, it's it's been a really long serving airplane, and I think you're going to see it lasting even further long. It's it's kind of that right size. It's not too big. The triple seven suffers from uh, wingspan issues oftentimes on the ramp. Uh, the yeah. freighter version is a 200 fuselage with a 300 wing, and uh, it takes up a lot of width. Um, same as the 747s, we take up a lot of width on the uh, on the ramp, so that's why a lot of people like this 76. And it, it operates pretty well. It's it's easy to service with with basic equipment, and uh, I think yeah, there's still a possibility you might see a re-engine version of this. I can't see why they couldn't sling a, a gen x motor underneath this thing because uh I mean, it's it's not much different fan size than uh than what's already currently on there the cs6 I and mean, if you look at a uh 7478 we are carrying cf6s and my company will actually have the engines come off the 76 go to the 74 it's the same size you know as what's on the dash 8 is the gen x motor and we sit the same height it's not like it's any different so I mean, it's possible you see it but Maybe uh, Boeing will finally get off its uh, backside and then pull the trigger on uh, making a freighter version of the 787. But you know, doing a uh, carbon fiber fuselage with a big door uh-huh. is not a is not a uh, known area. So that's going to take some legit engineering, which they used to know how to do. We'll leave it at that. So. Yeah, <laughs> we won't say anything about doors. No, no. Anyway, no. A, a touchy, Matt, a touchy subject. Uh, Matt, you've got uh, you've got story two, and um, this is a hell of a way to um, catch a transfer at an airport. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Uh, yes, uh, it's uh, uh, going to be an interesting one. I think this. Uh, it's uh, uh, the drive dot com is the website for this one, and the headline. Uh, is Delta is using a Porsche 911 GT3 RS shuttle shuttle for tight connections at LAX. Wow. Uh, short layovers suck, and having to run through an airport full of people sucks even more. I think airlines should totally shuttle passengers from one plane to another in bright red supercars. That would be way more efficient. Wait, Delta is doing what? Oh. Uh, the uh, p- passengers flying through LAX this week may get exactly that. The airline is employing a Porsche GT3 RS to shuttle passengers with tight connections from one plane to another, helping them avoid the chaos of crowded terminals and hopefully getting them to their destinations on time. I, I mean, I don't think you can fit a whole plane's worth of people into said vehicle, but uh, anyway, I'm sure more will become apparent in a moment. Uh, imagine that your plane pulls up at the gate. You're wondering if you're going to make your next flight. 
when suddenly you hear your GT3 RS awaits you, sir or madam. Sweet. Uh, the This cool program is the result of Delta's long-time partnership with Porsche and is certainly not the first time that the two have teamed up to put some cool sheet metal on the tarmac. Last summer, a Porsche 918 uh, was used to shuttle elite passengers through Atlanta's Hartsfields Airport, uh, HQ for both Delta and Porsche. And the airline uh, regularly uses its fleet of uh, Canaines and Pomeras uh, for uh, the same purpose. Uh, perhaps this is Delta's secret weapon to remain the most on-time airline in North America. Of course, it's safe to say that the Porsche of choice is mostly for uh, marketing purchases purposes, you think. A GT3 RS... Tri- I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to stop reading this story because it's giving me hives with this third-person language. I'm really sorry. But you get the gist. A very, very cool car is... Uh, potential- I presume this is for a certain class of uh, passenger I think yeah, it's available I, I, to, I, to like I you or me no no oh, what seat you in sir oh, I'm in uh, row yeah I mean I'm in 209 J yes yeah. yeah no okay not yeah not I think uh, somewhere somewhere above diamond level I think you're going to be uh, uh, right. possibly okay. getting possibly this. a chance yeah absolutely yes yes I'm afraid it's, it's a, a good idea and it's it's a it's a blinking good PR Thing for 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 Delta, that's for sure. I, I mean, yeah, is this it... is a car that comes with race seats and a strap for the door handle. Yeah, and no rear seat. I'm just trying to figure out where they're going to put the cases <laughs> on there, but I don't know. Well, they'll, they'll yeah. probably be a little tug, you know, running along behind, trying to to, to <laughs> sort of. Uh... Can we just have a little chat about the um, the airside speed limits at LAX, please? Oh, really? What yeah. are the airside oh, speed limits at LAX, Nick? So. On the whole, um, they are 20 miles an hour for all vehicle roadways. Oh, dear. 10 miles an hour for service roads, 10 miles an hour on ramp and apron areas, um, or 3 miles an hour or walking speed uh, on ramp apron areas inside aircraft limit line. Yeah, but is is there going to be a Gatso gun, like, you know, with that sort of thing on the on the side of that? I mean, is, you know, is there going to be somebody stood there with one of those hairdryer things busy measuring the speed of the Porsche? Mm. Probably not. They're probably all going to do what we'd all do if we were airside and saw this thing go, is literally cheering it on to open it right up. <laughs> let's be honest. Give it some, mister. <laughs> Give it some beans. Am I the only Give one who'd be beans. on Flight Radar 24? Seeing if I could see it. On yes. Any, yeah. Any yeah. What, what the Porsche or the? <laughs> the Porsche, yeah. That's a good point, actually, because they do have the some of the ground vehicles are on there, aren't they? Mm. I expect for John, this is like a crew car for John. You know. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Sure. All all the time. Yeah. yeah usually, <laughs> me if I'm lucky, we get a Mercedes uh, van instead of the Ford van. So my knees oh, what fit. a treat! So what a what spoiling! Yeah, this kind of a joke. You're talking about the speed limit thing. Uh, when I was working on the ramp. You know, I'm driving a tug that's probably 10 years my senior going down the thing, the uh, the roadway behind the airplanes. And I got pulled over by airport operations saying I was speeding. And I go, okay, how am I supposed to know that? I have no speed limit. I got only have a, a rev counter. I go by noise and then I shift gears. And he's, well, by the wind, I'm like, I'm going into 30 mile an hour wind. What What do you want me to do? Well, uh, I could find you and ticket you, and I'm like, ah. yeah. So there are those people though that work at airport operations that will do a radar gun on you to uh, give you a speeding ticket. So 
<laughs> Love that. Who are they going to send it to? Delta? I mean, like... <laughs> oh, they, they, they were saying it was going to go on my driver's license. I was like, there's no way yeah. that I'd ever stand. But Thank yeah, you. it's just... Yeah, you know, good luck with that. Like that. On the yeah. subject of speed, John, just as a matter of interest, what is the um, maximum taxi speed that you do in the, uh, the 7-4? We actually get limited some places by the airport. Or they'll want us to do somewhere under 20 knots, between 10 and 20 knots, so uh, say 12 to 25 miles an hour. We'll generally not taxi much more than about 20 knots on a long, straight taxiway. That's really because you don't put too much heat in the tires. Uh, you know, we're just we're rough on tires, being as heavy as we usually are. I mean, you know, all of our operating weights were on dash eight. We can be, you know, over 400 tons on takeoff and three was it 346 when we land on the heaviest ones, tons. So it's it's a lot of energy. It's being put into those tires. They don't last uh, last that long if we taxi around like crazy. Well, if you're caught speeding, they'd find you. Would they know if you're speeding? Um, oh yeah, nowadays ADSB will just ride us out. Yeah. It's it's coming off uh, multiple times a second our ground speed. So yeah, I can I track my airplane when it where it goes to the airport on flight radar twenty four. So I have an idea like where it's parking when I go to Anchorage like that. So I have an idea if it's if it's there and where to parked. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's easy. Now, John, you have got the next story and something I don't think you'd want to find in one of your engines. Oh, yeah, this is painful to read. Well, one, it's an Airbus, but okay. Um, Qantas Airbus 380 engine found with two-month missing tool inside at LAX. The Australian Transportation Safety Board has launched an investigation after a tool was found inside a Qantas Airbus A380 engine. According to the ATSB, the compressor turning tool was discovered behind the fan blades of the number one engine on the Airbus uh, 380-842 at Los Angeles International Airport on February 2nd, 2024. Mechanics at LAX were carrying out a maintenance inspection on the A380 when a foreign object debris was found. An investigation report drafted and published by the ATSB website uh, investigators said that the tool in question was first reported loss on December 6, 2023. Oh, uh, the ATSB indicated that it expected to release a final report sometime after July 1, 2024, following completion of the investigation. Should a critical safety issue be identified during the investigation, the ATSB will immediately notify relevant parties so that appropriate safety actions can be taken. The ATSB said, um, according to the uh, Website, paddle your own canoe. Wow. Uh, Qantas told the publication that it was taking the incident extremely seriously. The Australian flag carrier said it uh, had notified the ATSB when a tool was found. The tool is a piece of flexible plastic. It had no effect on the operation of the engine. Uh, the airline told uh, PYOK, the Air Airbus A380 uh, registered Victor Hotel Oscar, Quebec, India, was delivered to Qantas on January 13, 2011, and can carry 485 passengers. Uh, okay, so I used to be a maintenance quality assurance auditor, and this just gets my goat that they would have a part missing, 
and not know where that part had been used, that tool had been used. When we had parts checked out from our tool locker, it was checked out to an individual, to an aircraft that they're working on. And you didn't not turn it back in without it being relocated. And if it didn't get relocated immediately, that airplane was quarantined. I mean, how do you not, especially for something that's back in the compressor, and they can say, yeah, it's not going to really hurt it. Yeah, it may not hurt the engine entirely, but they still could mess some things up, uh, disrupt airflow. I mean, I, I can think of a number of things that probably could happen. Um, wow. Just to, just to think that this was allowed to go for that long before it was found is amazing. John, is, there, is there any scope for a, a technician to have maybe been using their own tools or something like that? Or is it, would there ever be a situation where you think, oh, well, I'll just grab something from my own toolbox because it's this job and I know I can do it with this thing and, I, you know, and it will be very quick. And Something like you know, this something. is a, a specialized tool. So I, I think this is, no, this is something you'd have to check out. Yeah. Yeah, like hand tools generally were the one thing that was sort of allowed to be used out of your own box. So your, your typical, you know, screwdrivers, basic, uh, spanner set to use, the uh, the appropriate vernacular here. Uh, th those things were allowed, but you know, when you get inside of a motor, that's where extra caution needs to happen. You know, we, we saw the instance where they did a borescope inspection on the, uh, motor and they failed to do the the close-up procedure properly same thing with leaving something in the in an engine it's, it's just a an area where you have to be extra cautious i'm quite quite shocked that this happened and and, and that it went this far that they weren't madly looking for this part or uh, this tool so yeah it seems it seems crazy for it to have been missing for such a long period of time but also amazing that it didn't you know, for somehow somehow it didn't get damaged or didn't damage the engine. Yeah, saying it's plastic, I think, is its saving grace. You know, the the strength in a lot of these engines to take a, a lot of damage from uh, a bird strike, nowadays drone strikes, whatever. Um, they're, they're able to take ice. So plastic, yeah, probably could chew it up, but the. Uh, you know, it still could disrupt stuff. Uh, small pieces could break off, plug up, you know, sensors, plug up uh, ports on the engine. It seems like this is a something you just won't let let loose without the uh, finding it, relocating. It. I mean, it's probably probably bloody expensive piece of plastic, honestly, because it it's an airplane part. You know. Yeah, it's got to be certified. Yeah. Mm. If it does damage your engine, it's not um, it's not going to cost you a couple of hundred quid. No, no, you're talking probably <laughs> small thousands at, at, at the best luck, uh, millions at, at, at uh, bad luck. So mm. now, Nick, you've got uh, number four in the old list here, and uh, we haven't had a good uh, passenger kicking off story lately, <laughs> but. Um, no, but I did. So this one comes from the independent.co.uk. And I have to admit, we've, we seem to have had a few of these recently of people trying to open aircraft doors. Um, 
and it seemed i don't know i don't know if it's becoming a bit of a thing but uh anyway it's uh it sort of piqued my interest a little bit um but yeah so the uh, the article headline is american airlines passengers tackle and restrain man for trying to open plane door mid-flight so a video shows a man tackled duct taped um after trying to open plane door um he was on board an American Airlines flight after he aggressively tried to open the plane door mid-flight. So it was flight uh, 1219 from Albuquerque to Chicago. And it was 30 minutes into its three-hour journey on Tuesday, the 20th of Feb, when the man attempted to open the emergency exit door. Um, so I will come back to that because I'm curious to know at 30 minutes into the flight, you'd expect it to be probably pretty close to cruise altitude would you say john yeah uh, oh yeah definitely yeah so six men reportedly wrestled the man to the aisle floor before duct taping his legs and restraining him with flexi cuffs um fellow flyer said 30 minutes after departing um <laughs> i was shaken out of my panda express and tequila induced stupor <laughs> by a man aggressively trying to open the airplane door four rows back um Another person wrote, uh, one of the scariest days of my life, um, there was a huge gush of wind which came out of nowhere when the man opened the emergency exit door. Now, that's a bit weird because that kind of implies that somebody did actually manage to open the door and depressurize the aircraft, but we'll, we'll come on to that in a minute. Um, so the plane was safely turned around for an emergency landing back at Albuquerque and video footage shows the man being escorted from the plane um in handcuffs by four police officers uh, american airlines told the independent that the service from albuquerque to chicago returned shortly after takeoff due to a disturbance in the cabin involving a disruptive customer the flight landed safely and the aircraft was met by local law enforcement upon arrival um, this disruption follows similar incidents in the cabin over the last year. A Ryanair flight from Zadar to London Stansted in July saw a man restrained by other passengers after he became disruptive and tried to open the door moments before takeoff. Um, and in September, a passenger was detained in northeastern India after allegedly trying to open an aircraft door. Um, and after a series of incidents, um, it's prompted uh, South Korean travelers to have new pre-takeoff warnings. Mm. Um, and airlines will be required to warn passengers, passengers against opening aircraft doors. Um, why we should have to do that, I don't know. Um, according to new operating guidelines to avoid any attempts to open the emergency exits while flying. So let's just talk about cabin pressure and let's just talk about is it actually possible to open an aircraft door while you're flying so this is me getting a little bit bored and thinking i wonder what it actually equates to so i i did as our american counterparts like to say i did the math so if we look at an average uh size of a cabin door let's assume it's about um just under a meter by about two meters tall so i sort of figured out what the what the surface area of that was i looked at what the internal pressure of the aircraft would be once it's pressurized at altitude and then i subtracted what the external pressure of the aircraft was 
And if any of you have seen this week's uh, beautiful show graphic, you will see uh, a rather lovely picture of the of the Nevmobile, which is uh, <laughs> which has um, been been uh, filled with various members of the PTUK crew uh, looking very happy on a, on a little trip out in Nev's car there. So the reason for that is that basically at 35,000 feet, the equivalent force required to open a cabin door is just under, is, well, it's just over 9.4 tonnes, which equates to about 4.7 Nev cars with PTUK, PTUK crew on board. So that's how much effort it would take to open a cabin door. So in other words, not something that you or I or Britain's strongest man or whoever you like is going to be able to achieve. Um, so really and truly, if somebody thinks, oh, I'm going to have a crack at opening the cabin door, my my advice is, yeah, you crack on, you have a go and see, if, see what you can do because it ain't happening. What do you think, John? Uh, yeah, it'd be pretty pretty hard pressed. I mean, I've known of a few instances where pressurized airplanes on the ground, where they pressurize the plane up to test the system, have been popped open, and yeah, the door starts blowing open. Uh, but yeah, it crews altitude it's even higher. It doesn't seem too realistic. I mean, this thing has to slide up um, an inch or so before it's able to move. I just don't see anybody having the force to the leverage to do that from the inside. And when you do it from the outside on the ground, it's supposed to depressurize the aircraft automatically. As I recall from my uh, long ago days of catering. So from the inside, I don't see it happening. I mean, I'm, and wow, dumb place to do that from somewhere out in the Southwest where a lot of big burly guys that have no problem fighting. <laughs> uh, that you look at the guy, one of the guys tackling him, he looked like uh, I bet you're some cowboy boots on the bottom of those feet. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, people go crazy on airplanes. I've, I've, I've seen this a few different times where people kind of get irate and they, they get claustrophobic. They get, they just lose their mind or, you know, the best combination, alcohol and ambient, uh, comes to mind. Always, really uh, generates some uh, good thought processes. So <laughs> I'm going to guess that's what, what you're going to see here. But I, I yeah, yeah, go, go for it. I don't think you're ever going to do it. If you do, well, you're done. So yeah, nowadays people are going to tackle you and crush you to the ground. I was going to say, yeah, many years ago, <clears throat> John, I think it, it was a case sort of years ago that people would just kind of sit around and wonder what's going on and not, interact but i think now think times have changed i think more and more passengers now are more likely to not be very happy and get involved and yeah we have even in america with our bad memory uh of history or you know history only was five seconds ago uh this one th this aspect stuck nobody's gonna sit around passively and watch you try to do something that could kill them anymore they're gonna you know expect somebody else to act um somebody's gonna get up there and get going uh, i mean you know you go back to the beginning you know when the guy tried to break into the front of a 767 and uh he was getting drug drug out of the 
cockpit by six people and uh, the first officer whacked it in the back of the head with a side of the crash axe. I mean, you're going to see something happen to you if you uh, act out like this. And I, the one or two times I've been on flights where something like this happened, there's always been people have been getting up and, you know, in one case I was the one who was getting up and kind of gave the, the high sign to the flight attendant, hey, give me the go so you don't all go. But uh, they kind of quickly uh, died down when they saw like three or four of us standing up and uh, they sat down and that was it. So, and this is the reason why John, you fly cargo. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I deal with people is just, you know, they're, they're trouble. (laughs) It just, it causes all the trouble. It's bad enough. It's getting the, getting stuff on the airplane. A lot of people that want to do something stupid. So, yeah. Now, next story comes to us from fly.co.uk, and we're going techie for this one. We all know the Airbus, you literally hop in the seat, press three buttons, and you take off and fly and land. But this is a whole new level of tech. Sky Rise revolutionizes flight controls with one stick and two screens. That's it. If you've ever flown a helicopter, you'll know how complicated it can be. Move one control and you'll have to adjust another and then another. It's the same to a lesser extent in the fixed-wing aircraft, but the fact is pilots have persevered with traditional controls for decades and no one has much of an attempt, had much of an attempt to move forwards. Until now, it appears, US company Skyrise has revealed the production version of its modified Robinson R66 helicopter with a single stick control, a fly-by-wire system, and two touchscreens. That's it. Skyrise calls it SkyOS, a nod to the simplicity and clean design that Apple has introduced computer and smartphone. Sorry, Apple. Uh, it's an operating system that offers simplified control and an aircraft agnostic triple redundant fly-by-wire system. An aircraft agnostic means it can be applied to almost any aircraft, not just helicopters. Since the invention of vertical flight, pilots have juggled four controls simultaneously using both hands and feet just to keep airborne until today, according to the company. So features in Skyrise... One, as the company calls the modified R66, the fly-by-wire flight system. This isn't an autopilot. Uh, It's a full four-axis flight control system flown with the Sky OS operating system and fly-by-wire. Dynamic envelope protection. This is a continuously combining pilot's inputs, environment conditions, aircraft status, and flight parameters to keep the aircraft in a safe envelope. And the interactive and triply redundant flight control system provides a level of aviation safety usually found only in fighter jets and airliners. Also, the fully automated auto-rotation. Skyrise SkyOS quickly recognizes a power failure and automatically enters it into an auto-rotation, automating the glide and flare to set down with the pilot in control. Auto pickup and set down. Skyrise 1 will also pick up and set down at a pilot's command with one simple swipe of the screen. Also, hover assist. Traditional helicopters require complex synchronization of all four controls. Skyrise's Sky OS uh, simplifies that, assisting pilots by maintaining a hover at their command without hands or feet. 
uh, inherent stability because SkyRise 1 is continuously stabilized by SkyOS. You can let go of the controls at any time and the aircraft will stay inside a safe flight envelope. Swipe to start. This sounds good. Uh, traditional helicopters are also started through a lengthy multi-setup or set uh, step startup procedure. The Skyrise One automates all of the air, all of that, allowing the pilot to start the engine by simply swiping right on the screen. Uh, IFR capable, Skyrise One will be fully certified for instrument flight rules at half the cost of an IFR rated helicopter. Also, Skyrise has removed the complex mechanical controls and replaced them with a single four-axis control stick said to be similar to that found on the F-35. The single control stick is combined with two touchscreens, uncluttered by traditional complex array of boxes and controls and indicators. And the complete price for the Skyrise 1 will set you back at a cool $1.8 million, excluding any customised interiors or paints. So if you want a metallic paint job, it's going to cost you more. I must say, it looks good. Personally, I've flown in helicopters, never actually flown a helicopter before. Um, I must admit, I'm more of a fixed-wing lover myself. John, have you had a chance to dabble in the world of those things that spin around in the sky? I don't generally fire things that try to kill me. Um, I, I would like actually to learn to fly, maybe, but no, I've actually never... Ridden in the helicopter, it's been in the air before. Really? Ironically, the no. Uh, the one chance I was going to have to do it was uh, on a Civil Air Patrol mission, looking for actually a crashed helicopter, and the helicopter that was being offered to us did not have enough load carrying capability to carry me and one other person with our gear to, to drop us off in a somewhat remote location real quick, and we ended up having to drive. So the um, opportunity has not existed. I mean. I know the, the basics of this and how to fly. I mean, this is interesting. I guess yeah, they're kind of levering, leveraging the uh, capabilities that have been developed with, uh, you know, software-driven uh, flight computers uh, in the F-35 world. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Auto rotations without having that collective seems a bit weird. Uh you know, especially if you're going to a point, how's it going to know in the flare if you're landing on top of a building versus the ground? <laughs> yeah, indeed. I mean, is this? I mean, is the object of this exercise though, so that you're literally you can just sort of um, anybody can essentially fly a helicopter, or is it? You know, it, you know, it's it's like it's like the Tesla of of helicopters, isn't it? Essentially. Well, it's absolutely the Tesla of, of helicopters. I think it it would greatly simplify the. Um, whole learning process, the operating process. Um, I think it's you're kind of taking this to the point where it's uh, competing with these new vertical lift, mm. uh, you know, creations that are out there, which are, are similar sort of design where it's all computer controlled. You don't really know how to fly. Well, um, and that, that, that's basically marketing, a, marketing something outside a helicopter yeah. already exists to that, to that realm. But you're essentially, it's essentially a video game, isn't it? I mean, you're essentially flying a video game. <laughs> oh, this is like flying Microsoft Flight Sim yeah, back yeah, in the yeah. 90s when they first put a helicopter into it. Only, only, if, this is... only if it goes wrong, it's going to be a bit ouchy. You know, <laughs> yes. Just like, yes. You know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, 
triple redundant computer systems and, and whatever, but you have one joystick. If that joystick goes wrong, and you're you're heavily reliant on on uh, on electrical power as well, and haven't yeah yeah you know, the electrical power stuff. I, I kind of I'm less concerned about that more and more now because the the quality of electronics, even on the cheap stuff coming out of China, is really pretty amazing. Uh, the failure rate uh, now, you, and you have batteries that last a long time to provide the power for computers for driving certain aspects of the systems. And a lot of the systems on the aircraft can be driven without electricity. You know, hydraulic pumps, uh, you know, and stuff can be powered uh, still without the access to, you know, you don't have, have an electrical pump to drive it. You can have it be running off the engine um, or off the rotors if it's uh, auto-rotating or something like that. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting idea. It's just I fly a Boeing for a reason, so... I still have wires to attach myself to some of the controls at least. Yeah. I thought you'd say that, John. <laughs> I'm old. I, mean, I got a lot of gray hairs here. John has to be self-induced. He actually has to fly the aircraft. Can you imagine if we had Andy with us tonight being our uh, resident Airbus uh, pilot? Yeah. yeah. Could be a few pokes back and forth. I, 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 think, he, I think his argument would be, well, I don't see the problem personally, but yeah. <laughs> you know, this, is, this is the thing. Anyway, Nick, you've got the next story, and it's all about an airline that me and Matt will be finding out lots about oh, tomorrow. Oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> you still need to work on getting Nev on board one of these, you know. I'm working so, on it. It's got to happen. It's got to happen this year, I think. Um, so yeah, it's um, it, it's Mr. O'Leary kicking off again. I think he. I don't know. I don't know if he likes the sound of his own voice, but he he seems to like being in the news a lot, and and maybe it's just uh, his way of getting more publicity for Ryanair. But uh, yeah, he's basically complaining about. Um, the fact that, uh, that Boeing are, are not delivering aircraft on time. So it comes from bbc.co.uk. Um, Ryanair warns of 10% fare rise as new Boeing planes are delayed. Um, the boss of Ryanair has said that holidaymakers will face higher fares this summer due to new Boeing planes being delivered late. Chief Executive Michael O'Leary said the delayed delivery of planes will constrain capacity for passengers. Uh, and he said that Ryanair's ticket prices could be up to more um, up more than 10% more expensive this summer as a result. Uh, Ryanair hopes to get some compensation, but is focused on getting planes delivered, Mr O'Leary added. He said that uh, delivery of 57 uh, Boeing 737 Maxes was due in March, but the firm thinks that only 40 to 45 may arrive in time for the summer season. Um, major concerns have been raised about quality control for new Boeing aircraft, sparking a slowdown in production speed. And Mr. O'Leary said cost saves through hedging on fuel would mean that Ryanair's fare increase would not be as steep as the 17% rise seen in 2023. Um, some other airlines have had capacity constraints caused by aircraft not being available, he added. A problem with Pratt & Whitney engines, for example, has grounded a number of Airbus planes used by carriers such as Wizz Air. Mr. O'Leary told reporters that there would be a higher fare environment across Europe this summer. And Ryanair's original forecast for the year uh, to the end of March 2025 was that it would carry 205 million passengers 
up from around 183 and a half million in the 12 months before. Um, Mr. O'Leary said that with less aircraft, maybe we'll have to bring that 205 million down towards 200 million. Um, if capacity was growing, I think fares would be falling, he added. So, yeah, it's I, there has been, I've seen a number of stories about this in the last week, and I think a number of um, a number of airlines are obviously kind of counting on the efficiency of, of newer aircraft like the MAX uh, in order to be able to keep a kind of competitive edge with their airfares. Um, and obviously it's, you know, with, with quite tight margins on airfares, it's quite a big deal, isn't it, for a number of airlines to be able to maintain that that competitive advantage. Um, I, I get what I get what he's saying, obviously, with the, with the lack and the slow production rate at the minute of the maxes. But also, don't forget as well, this year alone, bear in mind, we're only now at the end of February. Ryanair have already announced seven new routes this year. So that's seven new, you know, uh, routes that have got to be serviced by aircraft. So they're only adding to their shortfall of of uh of aircraft by adding more and more so they're routes. making it worse for themselves yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i mean obviously they need to put more routes on to to obviously get more money in the in the pot but you know you need aircraft to, to service these routes and so i mean i mean i was i was tracking a few aircraft this afternoon whilst matt was um down with me and we were watching flight radar 24 well the guys at airliners live were live at manchester and one of those Ryanair 737-800s that they had um, coming in was nearly 18 years old. Wow. So you can see they're sort of trying to obviously renew the fleet, get rid of yeah. some of the older aircraft and get these Maxes in. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm surprised that they've not um, either gone down the route of either leasing some more or even you know, purchasing second-hand aircraft that, that may be two or three years old from airlines that maybe have failed. But I, I, I can't see him doing either of those things, to be honest with you. Certainly not leasing, because, of course, you're tied into a, a contract, yeah. and that's the one thing, you know, that he... I, I, know he ha I know he does have some leased planes, but the majority of them are all owned by Ryanair, and I think mm. that's one of the reasons why the model works, doesn't it? Because, essentially, um, you know, you're not paying you know you're not paying someone else for that aircraft and once you do own it which is probably after a few years um then all it's doing is making you know once it's covered its running costs it's making pure profit isn't it mm. thoughts yeah. john before we move on i mean i think one he's talking to hear himself talk i think he's preconditioning the market to raise his fares uh by talking this way um and yeah it's a renewal program so i mean he's got they probably have the airframes to do it. Maybe this would impact their ability to uh, run and operate some of their longer uh, sectors that they wanted to, to run with uh, those, those max uh, aircraft. But I don't know. It kind of feels like he's preconditioning the market to run higher prices. And, and yeah, everybody's kind of suffering from uh, aircraft issues, Airbus and uh, with the engines and, well, Boeing being Boeing right now. So... Yeah, that's about it. It's him talking to be talking. Captain Cruz that... is saying in the chat room, the oldest Ryanair aircraft is 21 years old. Oh, 21? Yeah. Blimey. Ah. I'm amazed. I, I, I would have, uh, if I had to guess, I would have been 
surprised if they'd had anything that was more than about sort of 10 or 12 years old. Yeah, I'm quite surprised by that. That's, that's just in its prime. Yeah, Oscar yeah, uh, in the chat room uh, is just saying that uh, he thinks Ryanair is looking to fly to and from Norwich this year. Yes, you are right. They are looking to fly. I think it's next month uh, Ryanair start flying from Norwich to Alicante, Faro and Malta. Oh, awesome. Where are we going, Oscar? Where should we go? Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's, let's go somewhere. Let's go somewhere else. cool. Uh, not Malta. Carlos is obsessed with Malta. So that's all he cares about. <laughs> let's go somewhere anyway, else. <laughs> anyway, uh, John, are you a big fan of um, Taylor Swift? Uh, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm a big fan of one of her songs that was done on uh, a TV show in America where they, uh, they lip sync, called Lip Sync Battle, where they had the rock uh, singing one of her songs but that's about it anyway john do you want to take the next one from uh, paddle your own canoe Don't. feeling a, a theme here with airbus and 380s here uh australian flag carrier Qantas forced to operate a380 super jumbo on a one-hour flight as storms and taylor swift fever wreak havoc on schedule and this is from the well that that paddle your own canoe website again Australian flag carrier Qantas was forced to use one of its double-deck Airbus A380 Super Jumbos on a domestic one-hour flight on Friday afternoon after bad weather wreaked havoc on the airline's normal schedule. In uh, anticipation of the impending storm, Air Service Australia limited the number of departures and arrivals into Sydney, forcing airlines to proactively cancel flights. However, Qantas devised a unique solution to get passengers to their intended destination. Normally, Qantas would simply rebook impacted passengers onto alternative flights, but with Taylor Swift playing her sold-out Eras tour concert in Sydney for the first time in Sydney on Friday, uh, spare uh, seats on alternative flights were in short supply. Qantas pointed out, however, that passengers rebooked on the A380 Super Jumbo service were unlikely to have been traveling to Sydney to see Taylor Swift uh, due to the time they were meant to be departing in the first place. With the ability to carry 485 passengers, the A380 replaced the equivalent of nearly three Boeing 737s that normally operate the short hop between Melbourne and Sydney. Normally used for some of Qantas's longer flights, the airline said it had an operational standby aircraft available, which would normally be used to cover another A380 in uh, somewhere like London or Los Angeles. Uh, had maintenance issues. In a statement, a spokesman for Qantas noted, our operation teams across our domestic and international network have done a fantastic job to quickly find a solution to ensure customers can still get to Sydney today despite the forecast severe weather. All customers who are impacted have been contacted and provided information on their new flight details. Uh, smart idea. Despite it being an Airbus 380. So, and Switch the, switch the aircraft, up gauge it to something really large, one slot versus three. Perfect. What else are you going to do? I was going to say what the fuel impact would be, John, but on an hour's flight. So, uh, You know, I mean, it's an efficient aircraft, and, and per seat, you probably had a lower burn per seat than you would have uh, on an aerobody. Hmm. It's just not its normal not its normal place. I mean, the flight crew is probably terrified at the concept of uh, – up and down in such a short order you know it's kind of like a simulator mission versus a a regular flight where you know you have hours to sort out what you're going to do but um no i think 
It's a pretty smart idea. I, I think I've heard of other companies where they've upgaged before when they've had a spare aircraft and they had that one lying around and they could take three airplanes down to one. That's perfect to me. See, going back to the last story, this is an ideal opportunity now for Ryanair to, 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 you know, to up the ante. All these A380s that are currently sitting over in the Mojave Desert gathering dust, you know, waiting for, you know, Ryanair, grab a, two or three of those. Boom. Yeah, just consolidate all the flight operations in uh, England to one to Norwich, and uh, perfect. I mean, quite like to see an A380 land at Norwich. That would be interesting to see, I must say. But might not take off again. I, mean, I, can say, I, I say you'll but... get it in all right. I just don't think you'll get it out. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you might do, but it'll be in bits on a very on several low loaders. <laughs> you know exactly. <laughs> Uh, next story comes from enroute.canada.com, and something very important, especially in uh, John's career, is uh, tyres, aircraft tyres. Uh, how aircraft tyres keep the Air Canada fleet rolling. Well, and pretty much every airline, I should imagine. Uh, Groove-treaded and nitrogen-inflated jumbo tyres are the unsung hero of every flight. Burning rubber is still probably considered cool if you own a high-performance automobile or car. Uh, but we pilots, or John, our guest this evening, will try to burn as little rubber as possible, even if he can't afford to. A small puff of blue smoke on landing. Unseen by passengers on board, tyres are a big deal in aviation. Each of the 12 tyres on the main landing gear of the 777 uh, is more than 1.3 metres across and weighs in 120 kilograms. And every tyre in the fleet has its own history tracked in its own file and monitored closely by the maintenance team. Main wheel tyres have an average lifespan of 300 to 450 landings. That's quite a lot. Sounds a lot, that does. Uh, while a nose wheel can withstand 200 to 350 landings. Uh, the nose wheel wears more when pilots pivot left and right turning the aircraft. Uh, depending on wear and tear, some tyres may stay on much longer, for up to 600 landings, while others may be replaced after just 50. Tyres for the entire fleet uh, are for, for Air Canada are leased from Goodyear, Michelin and Bridgestone. Hang on, hang on, hang Mostly. on, hang on. Leased? They leased tyres. I know, how crazy is that? That's No, that can't be true, John, surely? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, because they... They get retreaded all the time. Okay. So if you can maintain the uh, So as long as you can maintain the, 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 the sort of structure of the tyre, um, they're, es they're essentially all remolds. Is that what you're sort of saying? They're sort of like... Correct. Yeah, yeah they'll, okay. they, um, they'll I, grind them down, put a new, new uh, outside on the carcass and put it back. And, and oftentimes it actually lasts longer because it's a thicker... Yeah, I guess uh, a I just, set of rubber. every fiber of my being feels like when it's such an, a, a, an important part of the landing process that you'd sort of feel they should probably be shiny new ones, you know, not not um, not remolds, you know. But yes and no, I mean, because uh, it's susceptible to the same problems. If, if the tire is not, it's like cooked, right? So they yeah. take all the rubber, they they put it into a special oven, and they cook it to to get it all come together chemically. Yeah. And if that process is always there's a bunch of layers in there, if that process is not done right as a new tire, let alone a remanufactured re or, or a retread tire, it's going to come apart no matter what. And, and a lot of it's you know, tires, it's the wear, wear and tear is uh, 
one, you know, are you managing your tires correctly, tire pressures? Uh, are you minimizing your brake usage? Because we put a lot of heat into the tire uh, from the brakes. Um, you know, our, our company is always talking about, hey, minimum braking possible because that heat wears up the tire. Um, so, yeah, no, remanufactured tires is, a, is pretty standard. I think, uh, I think one of our certificates, I think, a smaller side certificate was using new tires, but I think in essence there was also sort of a way to get the new tires in on one side, and then the, everything else was on the remanufactured, uh, you know, retread tires. I mean, one one of the things for me, like like back in the you know in the coach driving days, you quite often it was not uncommon to have remolds on the rear, but like on the front wheels, the steering wheels, that was an absolute big no no to have remolded tires I, that that's why it's sort of melting my mind almost yeah i mean all the all the force is going into the main gear tires for the most part if, if the landing's done correctly that's where all the energy goes and then the nose gear is put down pretty gently um i'm trying to think on a crj i don't think we used i think those were always fresh tires in the nose gear i don't know that i i don't know what we are on a 7.4 to be honest, I think we. Yeah, I think I've seen retreads, but I, I can't say with any level of certainty. But the main gear definitely is very often retreads, and and sometimes you'll see a, a bad one come out, and it'll hit you know a few cycles on it, and uh, you'll start to see the the tread start to pull apart, and then it gets pulled real quick. So because nobody wants to throw a tread, because the tread is you know oftentimes two inches thick. And when it's first going on there, and if that lets loose, it does destroy things in its path. My last company, or two companies ago, uh, when I was actually in the uh, quality assurance job, we had a bad batch of uh, of the retreaded tires. And in uh, a week and a half period, we had three sets of treads go through the flaps into the motor. Oh, blimey. And the tire, the tire manufacturer... Uh, bought three engines. Oh, that, I, that sounds very expensive. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So nobody wants to do it wrong. It's uh, uh, no. very high quality control. I, I actually got an opportunity to go down to Miami to a BF Goodrich uh, site where they remanufactured um, the landing gear, the actual physical um, metal part of the structure. And they did wheels and tires. I was there for this the wheels and tire shop, and that that was actually pretty fascinating because yeah, you know, the wheels the wheels are in two pieces, and then the tires are in there, and they'll take a tire apart, inspect the whole tire carcass, make sure there's no damage, and then they put it into the process where they strip off the rubber down to a certain level, make sure it's all even, and then they start putting the layers back on, and they put it into the oven, and they cook it. And then they put it back onto a wheel, and then they put it into a cage with uh, two-inch thick uh, steel bars all around it, and they pressurize it up to the maximum level, and they let it sit there for several hours for a leak check and make sure it doesn't come apart. Wow, so, okay. Because if it comes apart, the cage, they say, I'll just destroy the cage, but we'll keep it inside the cage. So, so a bit of tire yeah. tech. I was just reading on the story here that Nick's put on this 230 PSI, roughly for all, uh, a Boeing 787 aircraft. 
You think car tie? We're talking anywhere from thirty to thirty-six mm. psi for most yeah. cars. Yeah, that's. Now, I found a I found a cost for a tire for a regional aircraft. They're saying five thousand dollars for a main body tire, and uh, you know the six thousand dollars for like a seven triple seven or so. So that's it's about big cost on tires right there. Yeah. Ow. But they're so, they're so important, though. That's the thing, isn't it? That it's you know that is, that is the difference between a successful landing and not at the end of the day, isn't it? And uh, generally speaking, yeah, stopping they're very important for stopping. Yeah, um, yeah true. Yeah, and then um, you know the very very important the if you want cycles to they get is is pretty low. I mean, I think this was saying a lot higher than what we get. We we only get about 150 cycles on the seven four. But we're landing at much higher weights than even these triple sevens are. And I'm landing, you know, like I said, I think I said earlier it was a 346 is the max landing weight. And it's pretty common to be landing real close to max landing weight on the dash eights. And uh, three, 300 tons to 280, 300 tons on a 74, 400. So it's a lot of, a lot of energy goes into those tires. Mm. They don't last long. And as Dirk has just pointed out in the chat room, John, that is nitrogen. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I lived in the U.S., it was really easy to get nitrogen at all the uh, the tire stores. And I would always service my tires with nitrogen. It was great because you don't have any of that cold weather issues where oh, you have yeah, to constantly right. inflate, yeah, yeah. deflate. Um, they said it was really good to um, minimize the oxidation on the inside of the tire so the tire lasted longer. And I, uh, we had tires there, like on my wife's car, we had had on the car for almost 80,000 miles. Wow. Okay. They met the full, they met the full life of the tire, which was amazing, but they always service with nitrogen. I always stayed really on top of it, but, uh, yeah. There's a comment in the uh, chat room, uh, especially for you, John, I don't know if you can see that on the screen there. 747 deserves more tires than the triple seven <laughs> being much cooler. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, but the, the triple seven has that cool uh, rear steering tire, though. I, I, I remember first time seeing that; it was pretty impressive. But yeah, we steer our whole body gear tires, so they got it from us. Uh, <laughs> Quite. Now we've got uh, one last uh, story, and uh, as I said at the top of the show, uh, Armando's not with us, but Armando, being Armando, he has sent in a visi- uh, video. Uh, oh, this is he- from yes. You Has haven't he? got it, have you? Where is it? <laughs> Where is it? In in on in the usual place. Should be in the usual in the usual oh, okay. place. Okay, all right. Give me a minute. Yeah, yeah. We'll, Chat amongst yourself. We'll talk all, about yourself. All I've got is a VT clock in the usual place. That's why. Uh, oh. Uh, while Matt tries to find that, John, uh, before we uh, before we move on, any uh, exciting flights planned for? I know you're off now for uh, a little while, but are you? Um, I am stuck on reserve for the next two months, so I have not a clue what I'm going to be doing. Yeah, I've been 60-day lines, so that it's uh, a little easier for sync spouse to make planning for the family. And uh, this uh, worked for our uh, May vacation that we have here in the Netherlands to start it. Uh, I still have to bid the May part of it, which is a little troubling. But the uh, yeah, next two months is just a hodgepodge of whatever's left over for me and uh yeah maybe some good airline miles 
Do you get is that like a last minute call thing, and John, in a situation like that, do you get a call from the from the uh, the airline and say, well, we need you tomorrow here? Um, yeah, in theory, that's how it is. Uh, I'll, this version I'm doing is is a hotel reserve, so I'll be in the hotel, and in theory, they could call me and I could go fly right away in, in a couple hours. The um, reality is that usually a day or two out, they start filling up the schedule because we just don't use reserve like uh, like real airlines do. You know, we have a lot of uh, hodgepodge flying. Our uh, schedulers are uh, constantly taking new flights from our customers, and then uh, they just start building those lines up into the reserves to, to get it covered and get it flying. Probably if I do a bunch of military stuff, I actually don't like that. A lot of times that gets up into reserves, so... And it bounce around from base to base, and the food's better. So, was there a seniority level in with the 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 airline that you work for, John? In regards to like the crew, like the captain and FO side of things, is there a lot of uh, you can pick and choose if you want to do certain? In theory, yes. On our contract, there's a seniority. Seniority rules everything in the U.S. system, but uh, with the way my airline goes, it doesn't buy it much. Um, because we have such a hodgepodge um, of uh, flying that you, know, you don't really get to – you could choose your days off. It's really about all your seniority really buys you, and, and you get yeah. more vacation. But you know, a lot of guys will try and choose. it. We, we have a little bit better contract now where you can kind of bid a line and try and stay on that line, but things drop off, and then your whole, whole line explodes because you're on the wrong continent. I mean, it to build something totally new for you, so – well, enjoy your uh, enjoy your time at home. I think John is the is the the takeaway from this. I think Matt, how are you getting on with the uh, discovery? Somebody's not checked their WhatsApp, have they? Uh, I, I, I'm afraid I can't find anything in either of the locations. So uh, for whatever reason, it hasn't been uploaded. I'm afraid. No, not to worry. We'll move on with the show then because we have got loads to get through. And we're moving on to this week's Caption This Just For Fun. Now, when I posted this on our social medias earlier on in the week, well, actually, well, the weekend, Sunday, I think it was, I posted it on there, it sparked quite a bit of conversation on social media, on Facebook. So if you don't, haven't already seen it and you don't already follow PTK on Facebook, give us a look while you're there and a like, obviously, on there. Now, Nick, for the benefit of... Uh, of the listeners, what what would you say is, uh, or the audio listeners, what would you say is going on with this picture, Nick? Take myself off mute there. Uh, <laughs> so it's a uh, it's a what looks like uh, I'm going to say a sort of Piper small single engine GA aircraft, um, clearly cruising along at altitude um, with a gentleman stood on the wing. Indeed. Uh, a robust gentleman, I think. A robust uh, gentleman, yeah. Thoughts, John? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no, do it all the time. Yeah. Just step back a little bit there. <laughs> so we had a few comments in the uh, on the Facebook page, and we're going to start off with the first comment from someone who I think we all know who this is, a uh, Mrs. Uh, well, Mrs. Nev, shall we say. This oh. one, she says... I know it's a small plane, but I didn't realise the toilet would be outside. <laughs> Very good. Thank yes, you. I like that. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, Nick, do you want to take the next one? 
Uh, yeah, so um, uh, some some guy called Nick Codling, who's, who's never had him. One here. Yeah, I don't know. He's, he sounds dodgy. Um, so having enjoyed a particularly potent biryani the night before, the pilot was a little alarmed when one of his passengers opted to take a breather out in the outside seating area. <laughs> Could be An trouble. Outside seating area. There's a thought. Uh, John, do you want to take the next one? Uh, Jenny Parkinson. I finally mastered Photoshop. It's ah, not Photoshop. That's a real picture. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The lovely Leanne. She says, "This is this is a good one. Classic British. This one. I can see the pub from here. <laughs> like that one. Ain't that the truth?" <clears throat> uh, Nick, do you want to take this one? Yeah, we've got one from Dirk, our friend, good friend of the show, Dirk. Um, being the fine person that he is, Matt agreed to pose for a photo oh, no. before, he continued, before he continued to pursue his favourite hobby, skydiving. I'm offended. Uh, I'm offended. It I'm had to come out again, offended. didn't it? Oh, oh no. <laughs> thanks for that, Dirk. No, no thanks, Dirk. Oh, <laughs> no. Uh, John, no. you want the next one? Uh, Darren Smith uh, says, if I jump off this Cherokee, it will climb straight away to 40,000 feet. Only joking, it can't actually do that, I know. Ah, right. Well, I'd like to see it. I'd like to see the, uh, that, that. I mean, if you put it on a massive, like, feet. rubber band and fired it directly at the sun, maybe it might reach, yeah. you know. Uh, Chris is good. This is another classic British one, I think. This is, uh, I'll wait here for the food delivery. <laughs> I'd like to see delivery try that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, they are very, ta- they're very talented at what they do. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got one from uh, Julian Begg, who says, uh, hold tight there a minute. More fuel is on the way. We'll have you moving in no time at all. <laughs> well, yeah, I did notice, actually, from that picture that the prop is, is not moving. But anyway. Uh, uh, yeah, but it's a photograph, isn't it? So yeah. Perhaps, perhaps uh, it's yeah. a high shutter okay. speed, therefore high it's sh- not an issue. Yeah. You know, therefore you can, get, you can get what you need. Yeah. Uh, John, do you want to take John's? Yeah. Uh, John Fox says, hey, Nev, I freed up 1A for you. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think Nev would even he'd try that, actually. Uh, Sean says, oh, no. It's controversial. Oh, no. Sean says, the new Boeing Warrior. Oh, jeez. I think is it what now? <laughs> ah! Is that in relation to the door being open? Not a clue. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. Danger, Will Robinson, danger. Uh, Nick, uh, what's the next one from James? Uh, I've got, got one from James Graves Brown. What a drag. There's plenty of air everywhere. Um, anyway, people take pictures next to their planes all the time. Just not at 14,000 feet? Uh, no. No, indeed. Uh, John, you got Rich's one. Uh, Richard King says, hey, my engine has stopped. How do I get down? Well, with a parachute. Carefully, yeah. I think, is the answer you're looking for. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, follow, we, follow, we follow Matt's lead and, you know, lead exactly. and jump out. Exactly. Uh-huh. Nigel, uh, uh-huh. Nigel Domini, he says, uh, hey, Mike, when do we take off? <laughs> well, you may have already done that, I think. Uh... Uh, Nick, do you want to take the last one from uh, James? Yeah, we've got one from James Gently, who says the Brightling wing-walking team embracing diversity <laughs> for the 2024 season. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't doubt that you could probably achieve this in a Piper Warrior, you know, flying at probably 
70 or 80 knots. The, yeah. door, might, or, the door, or, door might be a struggle to get open. Or 10 feet. The door might not close again afterwards. Yeah. Be a bit, bit, so you bit, get it bit open, noisy. I think it just might be bent permanently. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that in the chat, Aaron P's got a pretty good one there. Let's have a look. What's Aaron's sign? Aaron says, here we go. Uh, when you've got to pee, make sure you are facing the right <laughs> way. Uh, yes. Very good, very good, very good. Yeah. Oh, I like that one. Very good, like very one. nice. Yes. Yeah, I have seen a few comments about um, Mr. Smith doing his uh, special skydive for the what? 500th. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, oh, this this is a great one. Oh, let me get this one up here. Oh, no. This, this, John will know where this, this comes from. Uh-huh. Uh, from that's Alpha Juliet. Oh, the fire, fire extinguishers in his pant legs. <laughs> you must remember the guy, the YouTube guy who jumped out of oh, the. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was so bad. Yeah. <laughs> we covered that story on the show. That, that was the guy, Matt, who, um, who intentionally. intentionally oh, crashed his plane. Yeah, yeah. Crashed yeah, his yeah, plane. Yeah, yeah. But, but he we got jail time out of that. Yeah. Good. Serves him right. Yeah. Don't be an um, idiot. That's the advice. But when he jumped out, you could see on the video that he'd got um, was it was it a fire extinguisher strapped to his uh, strapped to his. Oh, Eddie. Yeah. What? I was expecting the worst, I suppose. But, Dirk, yeah. Dirk says in the chat room that the photo was taken by Armando in one of his zillion airplanes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Close up. I mean, he's only got three. <laughs> There's no need to exaggerate. Wow. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's got access to more, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's got more than me. Yeah, Honestly, for, for, those of you, for those of you guys and girls listening and watching the show, we'll, we'll no, nowhere near ever feel the pain that we feel as, as aviation enthusiasts, having Armando uh, on the show or part of the show and sending us everyday pictures of <laughs> hangars with aircraft, flight decks... You name it, we get the entire immersion into Armando's daily routine. Oh, shush now. You absolutely it's love awful. it. Yeah, it's awful. Really really get, nice, yeah. Nice bit of cloud surfing the other day, wasn't there? Yes. It gets yes, to me, and I'm the one flying around professionally, too. They, I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'd like to be doing that, too. Yeah. Oh, John, feel free to send, send us countless videos in. That's absolutely fine. <laughs> well, yeah, anyway. but Armando gets to go fight the fun stuff, so. Yeah. <laughs> Talking exactly. of the main man himself... Barmundo, we have got the military segment to get through. So, if all the team are ready and Matt is also ready to hit that magical grey button. And kicking off the first story this week on the military news, and uh, as I, as we're going as we're going off to Dublin um, tomorrow for the drone uh, summit, we pick a UAV story. Uh, this one is Canada are to provide the Ukraine with 800 Sky Ranger UAVs. So Canada will furnish the Ukraine with 800 small, uncrewed aerial vehicles, or UAVs, to support the beleaguered Eastern European country in its war against Russia. Uh, on the 19th of February, 
it's said it will donate more than 800 multi-mission Teledyne FLIR Skyranger R-70 quadcopters to the Ukraine, a package valued at $70 million. The multi-rotored UAV boasts a payload of up to 3.5 kilos, or 7.7 pounds, including the ability to carry surveillance munitions packages. A Canadian defence official said the new UAVs will assist the Ukraine military with some of its most urgent battlefield needs. The drones are critical for surveillance, intelligence gathering, and can also be used to transport and deliver supplies, according to the Canadian Ministry of Defence. Canada is also working with Ukraine on a training plan and delivery schedule with delivery expected to begin this spring. Teledyne FLIR produces the Sky Ranger in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. And in Canada in 2023 separately provided Ukraine with over 100 L3 WESCAM high-resolution cameras that will be paired with the new UAVs. Since the start of the war, uh, two years ago, small commercial drones have emerged as a cheap and effective means of filling a range of battlefield functions, including precision strike reconnaissance and artillery spotting. Both parties in the conflict have raced to secure supply chains for the increasingly critical assets. And Ottawa says the Sky Ranger R-70s come equipped with an autonomous navigation system and the ability to carry a range of camera systems used to detect and identify targets. It seems to be the way of the world now, I think, guys, with, uh, with UAVs being used more and more for, well, military purposes, definitely. But um, obviously, these ones are slightly smaller than the um, the ones that they see on the you know on the battlefield as such in uh, maybe other battles and stuff in other countries. But um, yeah, it's it's a lot to give. Lot to give. Canada must um, well, the company must have a damn good production uh, plant to manufacture you know eight hundred of these. Yeah, that's a lot, isn't it? Mm. It's, um, but I'm quite impressed by that three and a half kilogram payload. That's um, that's a lot of bags of sugar, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and the camera well. powered by a chainsaw motor or something. There, it's a that's a big, it's uh, a big uh, UAV. And those FLIR cameras are amazing. They can see in the dark, and um, you know that they definitely adds a, a lot to their capabilities that they can get those into. The hands of the Ukrainians and the, the drone factor in this war has been amazing. I follow this quite a bit, and I, I follow some podcasts that discuss it and the change that has made to the, uh, the the way things are looked at for fighting purposes is you know really amazing. And uh, this little bit of kit coming to the Ukrainians could be uh, you know welcome relief for them to improve their abilities, no, their no, challenges, services. I know Matt has got one at home. Uh, John, have you have you got one? A little uh, little UAV, or have you not ventured into that? I am parked right next to Skiphole, so no no drone flying around here for me. And uh, yeah, I don't know if uh, Sink uh, Sink Spouse would allow for that. Have you had yours out recently, Matt, or uh, has that not uh, been out for a while? Do you know what? It actually hasn't, and I, I need to put that right. Really, I haven't flown it for. Ooh. Oh, quite a little while actually. Yeah, yeah. I need to. I need to. I have just renewed my license. It's just uh, come up for uh, for renewal, and I've done that. So uh, yeah, done. Done all right. Done all right. Yeah, I need to do more flying. More flying. More flying. John, 
Next story we've got uh, in the military segment for this week. We'll we'll uh, let you take this one from Flight Global. All right, from Flight Global it says the uh, RAF starts uh, exploring Hawk T two replacement options to support Golf Tango Alpha Papa fleet. Uh, I'm not sure what that stands for. Let's see. Oh yeah, uh, UK Royal Air Force is starting to assess its pilot training needs regarding the future Global Combat Air Program having determined that its current BAE system uh, Hawk 2s will not be suitable for the task. A 28-strong fleet of Hawk 2s currently delivers advanced jet training in support of the RAF's Eurofighter, Typhoon, and Lockheed Martin F-35B fleets. It was always planned to go out of service around the end of the, the next decade, and we are pretty clear that it won't meet the requirements for a global combat air program solution. The chief of the air staff and uh, Air Chief Marshal Sir Richard uh, Knighton says of the current type. As a consequence, we need to plan now and start a program for the replacement of Hawk as an advanced jet trainer, he told the House of Commons Defense Committee on 21 February. How, how, how old are these Hawk aircraft? I kind of, I only know what it is. Yeah, so the Hawk, the Hawk was uh, first uh, introduced into the service, John, back in 1976, a great year, I might just add. Uh, first flew in 1974 as the Hawk T1. Now they um, they done a bit of modification to these back in uh, 2009, was it? Yeah, 2009. Uh, they done a modification program uh, replacing uh, the centre and rear fuselage sections. Replaced. They then made these into the first Hawk T2s, which were slightly a um, bit more robust. Uh, to replace the aging T1s. Uh, and the training operations with the Hawk T2s began back in 2012. So the, the actual Hawk itself is is quite an old aircraft uh, that they use. And obviously, we, as we all know, the Red Arrows uh, use the, uh, the Hawks as well, the T1s as well, for their uh, displays here in the UK. Okay, yeah. I just had a little Googling... Uh... I think this is the same as our T-45s we have in the uh, the States uh, inventory for the Navy, I believe. And, uh, yeah, it's, that's, a, that's an aging airplane there, which has all of its aging a- aircraft issues. And, and the new new aircraft with the quantity of data that has to be absorbed by pilots, and uh, I'm going to guess this probably still has steam gauges somewhere in it. Mm. That probably scares everybody when they first strap into it. Um, and I think that the way things are going now that they're going to need some uh, more advanced aircraft uh, and just maintaining old airframes just gets hard. You're going to run into the uh, stress issues on the wings because they're being used for flight, flight training activities. They're getting worked hard, doing a lot of low-level acrobatics. And, uh, you know, fighter jets just wear out quick. So it's good. Hopefully they're, they're ahead of the curve or at least on schedule with this for finding a replacement. That's why we have that T7 program. It's finally uh, starting to get back together in the States. Same kind of problem. Yeah, there's been over a thousand of these produced, John, since um, since they started production. Yeah, that's so, impressive. Yeah. yeah, it's a good little trainer as well from what I've heard from the pilots we've spoken to before on the show. Uh, now, Nick, Sad news, this one, Nick. Now, I know Jonathan Warner 
will not like this news because this is one of his favourite aircraft and he's took some pretty damn good shots of this aircraft in display. Yeah, so this one is from theaviationist.com uh, and the headline is Belgian Air Force unexpectedly cancels F-16 solo display team. So the Belgian Air Force unexpectedly announced on February the 19th that the F-16 solo display team will not be renewed for the 2024 season. News is a complete change of direction from the post where the service denounced the new season, mentioning counting the months until the new air show season with a photo of the team's F-16. The service posted a brief statement on its social media accounts, mentioning that they instead actively initiated the transition to the F-35 and phase out of the F-16, which is near the end of its service life. Our recent involvement in training Ukrainian pilots has mobilized a significant portion of our resources, further mentions the statement. Our primary focus now is on training our fighter pilots, fulfilling our operational commitments and transitioning to the F-35A. In the last two years, the solo display team was assigned a special colour, F-16, nicknamed Dream Viper, piloted during air shows across Europe by senior captain Steve uh, Rieske de Vries. Uh, might need your guidance on that pronunciation there, John. Um, the Dream Viper livery, which also won the most spectacular colour scheme at the Royal International Air Tattoo in 2022, uh, was created before the beginning of the 2022 air show season uh, by a collaboration of Captain de Vries and Nico de Buc. Uh, during the 2024 airshow season, the F-16 display team planned to celebrate the F-16's 50th anniversary and 45 years of the F-16 in Belgium. In their separate statement, the team added that this decision is out of their control and more information and details will follow in due time. Now, I know we have had a number of stories relating to uh, Ukrainian forces being donated or however you want to call it uh, aircraft and I think there has been a sort of significant number of um, F-16s that have ended up in Ukraine so I don't know whether this is kind of down to a bit of a redeployment of some of those aircraft as, as the, uh, the Belgian Air Force sort of transitions across to the to the F-35. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a big commitment for these guys to, to commit to the air show season, especially here in the UK. You've got RIAT, obviously the main one that they normally attend every year. And it is a big commitment for these teams to, you know, send an aircraft plus all the team, the pilots, and kind of all the stuff that goes along with it. Um, and obviously it's, it's in expense as well. And they've obviously got a lot on there plate but it's, it'll be missed sadly missed I, i've seen this i managed to get to see this once the uh solar display team they are fantastic and the aircraft looks stunning it is, the stunning. f-16 is just a really cool looking thing yeah. isn't it it's to me it's kind of like the epitome of, of, of what a fighter aircraft should look like really yeah yeah have you seen these guys john the solo display team i've not seen them actually do um the the, the air show uh, but we took a vacation down in southern Belgium and happened to be next to the base where they were doing their normal ops and randomly had this, you know, an older version of this aircraft come across a couple of times. And I mean, th these things are stunning. 
I, I love seeing every time they come out with a new paint job on this thing. It's just been incredible. And I mean, to think that they're they're saying celebrating how many forty some forty some years just in the, in uh, Belgium, forty five years in Belgium. I mean, it's hard it's still hard to believe that that aircraft is that that experienced at that at this point. Yeah, it, it just looks incredible and it's amazing. And I've had friends that have flown it and. Uh, they all have good things to say about it. Their their backs and necks do not, but um, <laughs> they they love the aircraft and, and uh, I love seeing it. Makes all the right noises and does all the right things. And and the the Belgium paint job. I mean, I, I just love to go shake the hand of whoever does that paint schemes and puts it together. It's incredible. Yeah, hopefully, I do it with the F thirty five to make it snazzy looking because it doesn't look snazzy right now. That'd be good. I'd love to see that on the F thirty five. Yeah, definitely. It'd be stunning. First flew in nineteen seventy four, John. January nineteen seventy four. Yeah, that's a seventies yeah. bird. It was an analog flight fly by wire system when it first came out. You know, that and check incredible this incredible change. Since they started making the F sixteen um general dynamics, there's been 4,600 or over 4,604 produced right. of these aircraft. That's a big old hefty like number, it. isn't it? it? It was a, originally designed to be a, a light day VFR fighter interceptor. So go fast, shoot something down, come back. Yeah. And now it does, it does all of the things. <laughs> it's not one thing it doesn't do. Except, well, it doesn't, doesn't do air refueling. No, no. <laughs> but it does it does air to air air to mud uh it can go against ships it can go uh you know do all the things of day night long range it's an incredible incredible well, system I, I know someone who would love one in his garden and you mr smith what's that f-16 i'm surprised mr warner hasn't got a piece oh, of I see. One <laughs> in his, um, garden yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think yeah. I don't think the wife would la- allow it somehow. <laughs> yeah, he has the same issues as I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, Just tell me he's got to go walk out in the desert out west of Phoenix and probably find a few parts probably. of them out there. <laughs> where they find one kicking around. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they, they had a bunch of a uh, bunch of them yeah. fall apart out there back in when I was there in the two thousand time frame. They were blowing the back ends of the motors out the uh, of the aircraft and uh, have to ditch them out in the desert out there all the time. So wow. Yeah, they, were, they had had a bad run for a while with some motors. Imagine the plane tags I'd have here with oh, those. Anyway. <laughs> Last one uh, in the military news comes to us from VintageAviationNews.com. Nice old school story, this one. Aero Legends offering Spitfire flights alongside a C-47 DC-3 during D-Day 80th celebrations. Aero Legends, the UK's premium provider of vintage flying experiences announced an exclusive opportunity to soar through the history alongside the legendary C-47 in honour of the 80th anniversary of D-Day. 
Air Relations will offer the opportunity to fly in the iconic Spitfire with a Royal Air Force pilot and rendezvous alongside one or more of the C-47 DC-3 Dakotas. Flyers will experience the thrill of formation flights with iconic World War II aircraft and create memories that will, my word, they will definitely last a lifetime. Uh, Aero Legends' mission is to provide their customers with the opportunity to relive the flying experiences of Battle of Britain pilots using authentically restored wartime aircraft of the era, including the legendary Spitfire. Their ever-growing fleet of aircraft is the most diverse in the UK and is maintained to the highest standards. Aero Legends offers options that provide a unique chance to experience uh, flying history alongside the meticulously restored aircraft that played that crucial role back in the D-Day Normandy campaign of 1944. Aero Legends operates uh, from three venues, including historical World War II London, Essex and Kent locations. Each provides unbeatable value with the ability to experience iconic landmarks such as the Battle of Britain Memorial, White Cliffs of Dover, now that would be what I would want to do with a Spitfire, uh, spectacular views over London and the needles during your flight. All three are free from restrictive airspace and commercial air traffic and unrestricted local airspace means you can experience unlimited aerobatic maneuvers in particularly above the airfield for your friends and family to see the london essex and kent and dorset locations are family friendly with great facilities such as cash museums runway viewing areas and you can uh, visit them over at their website and it's all the w's.aerolegends.co.uk do you know what that is that would be that one ticket bucket item to take off that would just to yeah, be amazing, sit wouldn't it? in a Spitfire and fly over the cl White Cliffs of Dover alongside a C-47. Wow. I, I feel as though um, there may be a correlation here between the fact that Armando put this into the show notes and he's possibly been doing some research. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Maybe that's what he's got planned when he's here. Who knows? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It begs a question how much this is, you know. Oh, no, don't look it up. Don't, don't, don't do it. It's going to be don't painful. Don't do it. Yeah, I think no. so. I know that... Uh, it's be painful for all of us. You can fly out of Goodwood um, in Sussex, and I think last time I looked, I think it was about five grand. Oh, oh cheap then. Here we go. The Formation Fighter Experience... Mm -hmm. A case of Spitfire flying alongside that, uh, you know, the, the C-47 starts from £3,250. Does it now? Uh, if you want to go and have a go in that Spitfire, which I think, oh my word, I better start saving up. Yeah. <laughs> 30 minutes, <clears throat> three zero minutes in that Spitfire. Uh, £2,975. And you know damn well that that 30 minutes will be the fastest 30 minutes of your life. <laughs> but if you're, if you're feeling very flush with the money and you want to experience a whole hour, including flying to, to be over fair, the wouldn't they have to? Wouldn't they have... You'd get several landings for that as well. Wouldn't they have to touch down and refuel for that whole hour? No, not with the oh, right. okay. no. Uh, So if you want to do the 55-minute experience with the White Cliffs of Dover, which is the one oh. we all want to do, let's be honest... £5,475. That would be a life-changing moment. John's though, face, John's it? thinking, yeah. shall, shall I do it's that? Not, it's not, oh no, I'm not, yeah, I would love to do that. 
<laughs> I would like to be sitting in the front seat, though, not squished in the back seat. Yeah, but uh, that'd be an incredible that... experience to, uh, to 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 take care to take part of. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I can honestly, I could, I could envision a certain member of our team doing this. You know. Yeah. Do you reckon? Yeah. I wouldn't put it past him. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. He does. He does love his history, doesn't he? That's, that's he does. The thing. Yeah. yeah. Never. Yeah. Mind. I think the. I think the thing that fasc- always always fascinates me with when you look back at World War Two is when you consider that there were they were sort of taking young lads that were in their sort of early twenties mm. and a lot of the time with zero flying experience, and then they were kind of training them up and then sticking them in these aircraft. And I, I, I would be curious as somebody with relatively limited flying experience like how intuitive it might be to to get in and fly something like this i mean it, yeah. the, the program they ran through for training though was very intense you know they were starting off in uh uh what chipmunks and then uh, onto the harvard and then into one of these i'm guessing that's it was a normal pipeline or something we did in the states with Stearman's, Harvard's, call them T sixes, and into uh, right into P fifty one. So it was like fifty hours, seventy hours of training, right? But they were expendable. Well, and of course there is there was that well not joke, but I mean you know the several of the fine court calls were often referred to as the twenty minutes, weren't they? Uh, you know, and, and not what you were hoping. Where you know the job was done, and you were home in time for tea and medals. I'm just, um, you know, it's uh... Gemma's just come in the in the uh, studio. I'm just going to ask: Can I, can I buy <laughs> five thousand pounds to fly Spitfire? Can I have a new diamond ring? Uh, uh, no, Ah, oh, touche. Right. That, 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 that went well. <laughs> that, that went well. Uh, okay. You know, yeah. <laughs> I better start saving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, we're gonna we're we're gonna start to wrap up the show. Matt's got an early start tomorrow, and we've got a long day tomorrow off to Dublin. Now, for those of you who might not know, you, you should all know by now. Me, Matt, Nev, and uh, Matt Clutterbuck as well from the A320 podcast. We're all off to Dublin tomorrow for the drone summit at the RDS Arena in Dublin. Uh, now we are uh, obviously hoping to meet some of you guys and girls over there uh, in Dublin over the weekend. On Saturday, we're having a little meet up at our hotel, uh, which is the Clayton Manor. Is it Clayton Manor Hotel? Nev's not going to be in the banana <laughs> while he's there. But uh, hopefully, if any of you uh, listeners are listening to this now and you are over in in Dublin, in Ireland, and you want to come and see and meet up the team, uh, come and see us over there. We'd love to meet all of you guys and girls over there uh, at uh, the RDS Arena or at the Clayton Hotel where we're staying. Be good to see you all there. But uh, we're going to have a quick round robin as to what uh, we're all up to next week. Obviously, you all know what me and Matt are up to this weekend. But Nick, what are you up to next week or this week, next weekend? Oh, I'm just, I'm just going to be moping around at home while you guys are all. Doing <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Don't blame me for that. Uh, absolutely. John, John's got a co-pilot with him now. Lovely. I'll be doing dad things with her and uh, the other two around <laughs> oh, the house. Love so, that. This is the one. This one's the one who wants to be a pilot. She was chatting with me, saying she said got me in on the flight experience. So nice. 
Yeah, love that. Keep, stick with it. Stick with it. You've got the best. You've got the best trainer there to teach you how to fly. <laughs> I, I don't think Dad should do it. I'm not going to lie. I think they'll fall out. It's a bit like the parents should never teach you to drive. Just, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, Dad, Dad will assist in uh, certain aspects, but that's about it. I'll yeah, find yeah, somebody absolutely. else to train. I mean, I'll get Armando to yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah. Just, just forget about yeah. learning to drive a car. Miss that bit goes straight to flying aircraft right okay uh, <laughs> god it's what it's lovely in your world carlos Dad'll so pay. Ra, pay. Ra, willie right okay <laughs> good oh <laughs> anyway anyway yeah we're gonna uh, we're gonna start to wrap things up quickly now then so matt can go and hit the yes, yes 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 and get himself ready for mm. uh, tomorrow it'd be lovely to see as many of you as we can hopefully if you are around yeah. Uh, at the uh, drone summer on friday it's on friday and saturday actually it's friday and saturday this week yeah, love that so uh yeah look forward to that so that is it for this week's show gonna say a massive thank you to john for stepping in tonight as a fantastic co-host as always john great to have you on the show no problem glad to do it i uh, really enjoyed it uh, and uh, i was, was uh, happy to help you out Excellent, thank you. And Nick as well for all your work on the notes of show this week, the show notes. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Yeah, we had uh, yeah, it's been 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 quite uh, quite a few good stories this week, so. Yeah. And also thanks to the wonderful Matt who's been in the studio all night pressing the buttons and all the right faders. I've, I've packed my case by the way, you'll be delighted to know I am now finally ready. Excellent. <laughs> So that's where we're going to bring the show to a close, episode 492 of the show. Have a great weekend, whatever you're all up to. Stay safe, and we will see you all next Wednesday at 7 o'clock with hopefully loads of great news and content on what we've been doing uh, this weekend. So from me, Carlos, here in the home studio, from Matt in the PTUK Master Suite studio, from Nick, in his home studio down south and from john in his home studio have a great weekend and we'll see you all next week say goodbye john bye-bye